Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this episode of Other People is brought to you by Stitcher Smart Radio. You can hear other people with Brad Listy. That's me. You can hear me. In this podcast, while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio, a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear other people, you have a chance to win some money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher in the App Store, download it. It's free. It takes just a few seconds. And then during registration, hit the promo code box. It should say, tell us how you heard about Stitcher. And where it says that, enter other people. When you do that, you're automatically entered to win 100 bucks cash money. The latest episode of the show will then be waiting for you in your favorites, and you'll get access to a lot of other amazing content as well, always available on demand with no syncing. That's the Stitcher app. Go download it at stitcher.com free of charge. Get it in the App Store. It's available for your iPhone, your Android, or your tablet computer. And don't forget to enter the promo code Other People when you register. This is an app. You can apply it. Go and get it. Oh, my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right, right. All right, everybody. Here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is a digital transfer of information. This is not regulated by the FCC. Thank you for being here. I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. Uh, what is happening? The other day, I got a text message from a listener. <clears throat> I got a text message from a listener. His name is uh, Spencer. His name is Spencer Madsen. Some of you may know him in the literary community. I don't think he'll mind me sharing his, his full name. Uh, Spencer got a hold of my phone number. 
And uh, I was in Chicago at the time, uh, my sister's wedding, which I've talked about. And I'm walking around downtown Chicago, and I get a text message from Spencer. And he says to me, somewhat cryptically, I'm going to be calling you in just a minute. Please let it go to voicemail. (laughs) And uh, I did what he said. I, I texted him back, and I said, okay, fine. And almost immediately my phone started ringing and uh, Spencer started leaving me messages one after the other. There were multiple calls. So, you know, it's worth noting I've never met Spencer in person, but I am familiar with him from the internet somehow, social media, the literary web, whatever it is. Uh, He left me these messages and I figured uh, I would share for your entertainment pleasure. So here are some excerpts from the flurry of voicemail messages left for me by Spencer Madsen just the other day. Well, first I want to say that um, your uh, your voicemail sounds nothing like you on the podcast. Okay, so I'll interrupt here. I, I was not aware of this. I don't know if I do I drop my voice when I sit here in front of this microphone. It's possible. It's hard not to like talk a little bit differently when you're in front of a microphone like this, but uh, this is how I sound in real life, I think. So, back to the voicemail. This is uh, Spencer again. I mean, like, you you monologue at me, like, pretty regularly, right? So it, it seems fair in a way that um, probably, like, isn't actually fair uh, that I... I do it to you, you know, it's like, it's a one way thing. Why does it got to be one way? Uh, you know what? It doesn't have to be one way. This is why I have uh, listener feedback. I'm trying to go, uh, two ways with the letters and the emails that I get. I encourage that. And, uh, you know, uh, voicemail, it's a little aggressive, but I like this. I like getting the feedback uh, in whatever way I can get it. So, it's not a closed door situation, is my point. So, uh, back to the back to the call. Oh uh, yeah, dude. Podcast has a has a voicemail box that you can call. I haven't called them yet. I don't. I don't think I plan on it. They're fine. They don't need me to call. Uh, you know what? If you guys want to, uh, you can leave me voicemail messages. Okay, I think you can do it via Skype. Uh, I think you can do it via Skype. I'm not giving out my phone number. I'm not doing that. That seems aggressive. I'm not ready for that. But if you want to leave me a voicemail message, if you want to weigh in and possibly be included uh, in the monologue on the the show itself, my Skype name is Brad Listy. Is it foolish of me to give that out? Just Brad Listy all smashed together. And uh, there's a voicemail box there. So... Just make sure you leave your name and say something interesting. Uh, so let's let's continue with this uh, experiment here. This is Spencer again. All right, I had some notes. I had some notes. I'm walking around. I, uh, I think it's like the West Village, in Manhattan. After work, at Penguin like the only pretty part of Manhattan the whole city um 
I just bought some, uh, I just went to Murray's Cheese Shop. It's like a famous cheese shop. <laughs> uh, why, why are you telling me that you just bought cheese? Why, I don't understand this. It was infamous in my youth. My mom would always, uh, when she would come home with Murray's, it was like a big deal. Okay, so I guess it's like an exercise in nostalgia or something. I, uh, I bought, I bought bread. I bought like a big thing of bread for four dollars, and I bought uh, prosciutto because, um, because like, I guess I've stopped caring about vegetarianism. Okay, so now it's getting a little confessional, sort of. Um. You know, it must be weird for you to just sort of, like, talk into a microphone. That's right. And not get a response or, like, any, like, affirmation. Like, it's weird to talk and not get any validation that, like, what you're saying makes sense or that <laughs> or that you're not being boring. That's my problem. But the good parts of your monologue are when you just sort of, uh, there's, like, a silence for a few seconds and those seconds probably seem really long to you and uh and then you sort of do a laugh like <laughs> like an actual <laughs> like that's kind of your your like uh awkward laugh <laughs> all right now i'm getting self-conscious this is getting weird you actually do <laughs> like h-e-h h-e-h I knew a girl who used to laugh, actually, H-E-H-E-H-E. <laughs> her, her real laugh was he-he-he-he-he-he. The real girl. Went to high school with her. I think out of my whole high school, I, I'm the only person that has a chance of making it, like, on a, on a Wikipedia on the Wikipedia for the high school saying, like, this person went there. And uh, and then he gets cut off. Uh, clearly he's exhausted the length of a uh, normal voicemail message. So uh, he immediately called me back to follow up. Are you guys enjoying this? Like, is this? <laughs> uh, here's Spencer following up with his second call. Like, on your voicemail box, you, like, have an accent that you don't have on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah, and then I'm going to fast forward. He goes on to describe a trip that he made to a local bookstore uh, there in Manhattan. So here is Spencer describing his uh, bookstore experience. There's a book in the front called, like, Rolling in the 60s or something with, like, a really pretty girl on it. Um, I want to talk about, I guess, how pretty she is. Like, brown hair and, like, uh... And, like, it's kind of cold. It takes the, the photos in New York. It looks like she's on Bob Dylan's arm. And, like, her nose is kind of red from the cold. I love that. I don't think I can live in L.A. because it won't ever get cold enough that you could see girls with red noses. And there's a book... There's an autobiography by Stephen Fry. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt it here. I don't know if uh, I don't know if we need to hear the rest of that, but um, yeah. <laughs> Let me see if there's anything else interesting here. Hang on. 
Okay, here we go. I mean, let me just play a little bit more. I'll just wrap it up. I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to go back to Brooklyn. I'm just going to wrap it up. I'm recording a podcast tonight with Zachary Wood. I'm coming to get you, Brad. Coming to get you. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to end on a threat, I guess. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Uh, my guest today is Matt Nelson. He is a co-proprietor, along with Jacob Perkins, of a new uh, lending library and reading room in New York City, in Brooklyn, uh, in Bushwick. And uh, the address is 56 Bogart Street, uh, and they're in Suite 1S, Gallery Space 1S. I don't know what you call it, but it's at 56 Bogart Street, and the name of the place is the Mellow Pages Library. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it. It was just recently written up in the New York Times. And uh, Matt and Jacob are doing something interesting, in my opinion, something uh, experimental, and interesting in the service of books and in the service of books published by independent presses in particular. So I figured it might be nice to talk with one of them uh, and, and learn a little bit more about this. And Matt was kind enough to agree to get on the phone. So here he is, uh, folks. This is Matt Nelson of the Mellow Pages Library and Reading Room. Matt Nelson, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I am currently in Mellow Pages Library, uh, which is located at 56 Bogart in Bushwick, okay. uh, which is a little area of Brooklyn. All right. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I, I know I've heard of Bushwick. I don't know exactly like the terrain of uh, Brooklyn, you know, in my I don't have like an image of all the different little sections in my mind. But um, Bushwick is sort of like Hipsterville. Is that right or no? It's the the moving circus of Hipsterville is coming this way. Okay, it's like it's like it's trending that way. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely some educated youngsters hanging out here more often than not. Okay, and so let's just just for people listening who might not be familiar with the concept of Mellow Pages, it is a library. That's correct. Uh, it's a library, but it's also a reading room, which I guess is what a library is anyway. But um, other people like to consider it a hangout room, I guess. I mean, 
there's this one guy, Sid, who comes in practically every day, and he basically just drinks our coffee, shakes our hands, maybe stutters a little bit to himself, and then walks out. Was, was he a homeless so, guy? I mean, no, no, no. You, you, he's got a home, uh, but I think he's just more concerned with playing WoW than um, World of Warcraft than, than sitting down and reading. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So when but you I mean, well, like describe the space for people listening. So it's a, it's a library and a reading room. It's not huge. It's like two hundred square feet, right? It's very small. It's the opposite of huge, which is kind of funny. When people come in, they're always like, "Oh, I thought it was bigger on the internet," um, which is fine with us. We don't really care a lot about having a huge space, although we'd like a bigger space. But the idea of Metal Pages is that we have a lot of books that you wouldn't find elsewhere. And the cool thing is that they're on the wall. Um, that's, I guess, visually arresting to some, um, in a way not normally seen. We just put up a whole bunch of nails and then put the books cover out kind of like paintings, I guess you could say. So it's like, yeah, it's almost like a gallery. Yeah. So that's a, that's the weird thing. We're in a huge gallery space. And we're, I guess, on the lease, this is a gallery space. But uh, we've kind of reformatted that idea and turned it into a library. I guess you could call it a gallery. Um, it's really funny. On Saturday and Sundays, they have kind of a open door time for the rich patrons to come in and look at the art and all the other studios and, <laughs> and like, these these very, uh, I don't know how to say, affable people will walk in, poke their head, say, oh, I love your gallery. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's a gallery, but you can come in and read a book if you want. You can take the art off the wall, I guess. Yeah, and, and do you have, like, you You obviously have seating for people and stuff? Yeah, we've got um, we've got a two-seater van couch. Um, we have other chairs and, like, a little really horrible Ikea futon thing. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the space can probably sit eight people comfortably. And other than that, I mean, people can stand around. And you, and have, a, and you have a coffee machine going. We do. I mean, we just got a, a really basic Black & Decker <laughs> coffee machine going all the time. Is, now, is it free coffee for people or do they have to pay? Uh, we, we have like a donation jar right next to it, but I mean, we don't really care. We much rather offer something, uh, in a friendly manner than like force people to pay. Okay. So how does that, how do you guys pay the rent? Well, uh, I just started a landscaping job and <laughs> Jacob is a bike delivery guy. And so, um, I'm also in school right now. So using a bit of the government's money for student loans to help cover uh, the rent. But also this is Jacob's old studio space. And so he kind of budgeted to have it no matter what um, he painted beforehand. He, he's kind of stopped painting now, but I mean, this was in his yearly budget already. So wait, he stopped painting and then he's getting into books or he's getting into like curating books at least. Yeah, I mean, he started writing more, and he kind of didn't like the fact that he was just in this room 
uh, behind his computer with the walls more or less bare. And so now he can still be behind his computer, but other people can utilize the space well, yeah, as that's... they see fit. Okay, so when you have, uh, let's say you're at full capacity, you have like eight people in the reading room um, taking books off the walls, sitting there reading. Like, is there like a, like a traditional library courtesy? Is it, is it you know? Do you guys have little signs up that say "Please be quiet" or do you like shush people? <laughs> there have been no such no shushing in in the library. I feel like that's probably a rule that we have personally. No, I mean. Uh, usually people are talking, we have music going, like we don't really care if you're going to interrupt someone reading. I mean, people don't always just come in here and sit down and read. A lot of people come in for the first time and we have to give them the spiel and talk to them about what we do. Um, and every so often you get people who will actually sit down and read, but, uh, I feel like more and more people come in here to maybe talk about books rather than read them which is kind of, I think, maybe better than your normal library experience because you go there and maybe you want to read, but more than likely you want to check the book out and read it in your own time, in your own space. Um, and so this kind of breaks that idea down a bit. Well, it's, I mean, it's almost like kind of like a hybrid between a library and a coffee shop, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, you could call it that, I guess. Well, and what interests me about it, you know, is just the I like I'm a sucker for um, DIY. I love that spirit, you know, where like you didn't wait for somebody to give you permission. Um, you just started this thing, and then the next thing you know, the New York Times is writing about it, and you know, it's getting some attention in the local community. But I think this is sort of the future, and maybe you know, maybe you feel the same. But I think there's a future in bookstores that really curate. And that really attend to the uh, sensibility, maybe, of the local community. Does that? Yeah, totally. You know, as opposed. I mean, this. Oh, cool. Sorry, man. I was just going to say, as opposed to like the Barnes and Noble, which you know, you you, you sort of know what you're going to get on the front table at Barnes and Noble, no matter what city you're in. You know. Yeah. No, it definitely changes uh, with the community that we're in. I mean, we're getting a lot of support from the small presses that are located close to us, um, which is kind of cool because I don't think you'd be able to find, I don't know, uh, your friend's zine in your local library. You would probably not even know your friend had a zine if you don't know them that well, if you're just like maybe drinking friends. But like here, you can actually find published work from people who live maybe two blocks away from you. Um, which I, I like that idea. And Jacob and I had ideas of doing – we had a and, and who, who, idea. Who, who is Jacob? Let's let's give Jacob a plug here. Jacob Perkins is uh, the creative partner in this endeavor. He and I are the ones who started this. Um, we met back in Seattle at the University of Washington, and uh, this is his space that we're using, and he has equal – decision-making processes that didn't make sense <laughs> he has equal uh say we both do this together okay and uh so when you guys are trying to decide which books to stock what is that process are people sending you stuff or i mean obviously you're if you're reading something and liking it you can 
throw your copy up on the shelf, but like, you know, especially since you started to get a little bit of media coverage, like how are the indies reacting? Are you guys getting books every day or what's happening? Yeah. I mean, we're definitely getting things that we've never heard of every day. Uh, A lot of people after the times article just started sending us stuff that they either published or um, they thought was good, um, which has been fun. But before that article came out, I mean, we both knew about the small press community and had been contacting publishers actually. Um, and I went to this convention, this writer's convention. I went, uh, on my school's dime to go, I don't know, sit in some lectures and talk to people. But, uh, we had contacted a whole bunch of these publishers beforehand and I just walked, they have a huge book sale on like the lower floor uh, it was in Boston this year, like the Boston Hyatt or something. Oh, you mean you, huge... you went to AWP is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah, I forgot that you... Yeah, you know AWP. I went to AWP and went to the people we contacted before, and a lot of people were really generous with giving us books. Um, well, I mean, it's like that's, so we, that's the thing about the ind- independent presses... Uh, and these micro presses is that obviously they have internet retail, which is their bread and butter. But you know the opportunity to have their books on display in any kind of bricks and mortar situation is really rare. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, you want. I mean, of course they have to survive, whatnot. But there's got to be some underlying. I just want people to read this book. Process going through them, and I mean, we only have one copy of each book and to have them here it might not reach a million people but it'll reach the people in the community the people on tumblr and facebook who follow us i mean we are expanding the readership in some way however small well sure yeah and so when you guys started this thing like you like you're just sitting around and suddenly you you know you come up with this idea like let's just use this space to to put, you know, books up and create our own little library. Like what does day one look like? You know, like how did you let people, how did you let people know? Like take us back to the beginning. Uh, so to go very far back, we're going to do the once upon a time story. Um, there's a bookstore in Seattle called pilot books run by summer Robinson, which was a small press only bookstore really small on Capitol Hill um, and it was this great great place that I fell in love with and met a ton of good people and was really introduced to the idea of small press and so uh, upon pilot books life running out basically because no one was buying these books they were just hanging out uh, and then upon the end of that and then moving to New York and not finding these books, I thought, why couldn't there be a small press bookstore in New York um, that could provide the same sort of thing that Pilot did? And so my idea was to go back to Seattle, if not to New York, not if not to stay in New York, and do the same kind of thing, but maybe do it as a nonprofit, and like maybe introduce like an archive element or the library element to it. Um, but Jacob um, 
had no intention of moving home, I guess not home to him, but no intention of moving back to Seattle. And so we just got kind of drunk one night after he had driven down to Raleigh to pick up his brother's books who had just graduated. There's a lot of tangents to this story, but he just picked up a whole shit ton of books uh, that his brother didn't have shipped back to the West. And we were just drinking and thinking about what we could do with all these books. And so I don't remember which one of us suggested it, but we are just like, why don't we just do the thing that you wanted to do here for now as a trial at the very least, you know, just do some experiment. And so we, uh, bought some nails <laughs> and carted over a shit ton of books and, uh, had a party. That's basically it. And that's, mm. that's how all good things begin. I think essentially it's like a combination, <laughs> combination of just like whimsy and alcohol. And you know, the next yeah. thing you know, next thing you know, you're in the New York times. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy actually. Cause to us, this is really easy in terms of the actual process. Um, I guess the thought, the idea is a good one. But well, well make... the thing is, though, is that good ideas, like almost all the time, uh, are really simple. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it's some yeah. complicated thing. And, you know, from my perspective, because I run a little press and, um, you know, I'm obviously familiar with a lot of these smaller presses and what they do. Uh, it's ne it's needed. You're filling a need. You know, there's no place for a lot of these yeah. presses to put their books on sale in physical space. Uh, or or put, yeah, put, put their books on display. You know, it's a library. So, you know, no one's no one's doing that, or, or not not very many people are doing that. And especially to have it uh, in Brooklyn with proximity to uh, the world of publishing, you know, in close proximity is you know that makes it sort of a good formula. Wait, what's your press? Uh, just TNB Books, the Nervous Breakdown. Oh sh. Oh damn! Why haven't you sent us any books? I'm gonna. I was gonna say that. You know, I was gonna. I was gonna tell you that either off the air or at the end of the conversation. Like, I'll def <laughs> I'll definitely send you guys some books. It's on my list. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I know the list grows ever larger, but you should totally bring us some books. Yeah, I definitely will. And uh, you know, so when you guys um, have these events or you guys have people in, like, are like are people? Do, do you have to join the library? Like, how do you check a book out from Mellow Pages? So that's that's the other, I guess, community aspect idea is that to become a member, you really have to be committed to being in it, I guess, um, because you can pay 20 bucks for a year membership. But what we found is that most people don't do that. They take the other option, which is to lend 10 of their books to the library, which means that their books are always their books and they get to keep the books and can take the books back whenever they want. But while they're here, they can be lent to the other members. And so we've made this stipulation to kind of expand the library quicker than we could on our own um, and kind of fill in the gaps of like, I don't know, the normal stuff that some libraries have. Uh, and the only, the only thing that we do is, kind of have a, a sharp eye and we'll say no to you if we either already have the book or it's a book that you can get anywhere and is mass marketable. I mean, we want people to have books here that they love, which does include the, the like number one bestseller sometimes, but 
if they're going to want that book in here included in their membership fees, I guess you want to call it, then it has to be something that they think is really good. Um, well, so but once you, I'll go. I was, I was going to say space wise, when it comes to, uh, you know, to stocking the, the, the walls, like are, how much, how much more space do you guys have? Like, do you have more books than you currently have on display and you store and you kind of like cycle them in and out? Is that the way that it's working? Or you guys still have room to grow on the walls in there? We've got about two feet below the ceiling to go. Um, so we've got very little room and way too many books to put them on the wall. But we do circulate, and we definitely put the smaller press books on the wall to kind of showcase them. But uh, it's getting to the point where we probably need a bigger space for the amount of things coming in. So Okay, so what's next? I mean, are you guys – I mean, is this like something that you're going to keep pushing? Are you going to try to get a bigger space and – try to build this into some sort of, you know, thing, or is it you, you, you're going to stay small? Uh, that's kind of uh, the questions we're asking ourselves right now. Cause there's, um, there's a lot of pros and cons depending on where we go right now. We can stay in this building, which is, like, actually really convenient in terms of getting people in here since it's right off the Morgan L stock. I mean, you can, you can spit on us, basically from the train um, or do we go somewhere else within the neighborhood? Um, do we become a nonprofit? Do we start asking people for money? Like do we do a Kickstarter? They all, they all kind of suck <laughs> to me because right now it seems like the perfect thing, but there are more books and because of the books, we need a bigger space. So we're going to have to do something that hopefully doesn't compromise too much of our ethics. <laughs> and uh, Well, I mean, but like at, so, some, at some point you have to make some money. I mean, you have to have money coming from somewhere in order to keep running this thing, right? Yeah, that's what we're finding because, like, I graduate in basically three weeks, which means loans are up. Oh, God. And... Yeah, yeah, oh God, right. Um, and then Jacobs, he's he's a commercial fisherman in the summer, so he makes some good money. But he'll be gone June through September. Uh, so basically, it'll be me here. But then I can't do that if I have a job which is, like, kind of stressing me out now, I guess, trying to figure out all of this very quickly and trying to, I guess, uh, capitalize on the momentum we have right now. Everyone's been saying, just ride the wave, man. Like, <laughs> you got the, you got, you got the goods right now. you got to capitalize. And hence, it's very encouraging, but it's also almost putting my head under the water a bit because I, I mean, we have, <laughs> we have zero experience in terms of business models, um, both in terms of our business background and this idea, like what, where does, I mean, there's plenty of places I can think of that would give us money, but I don't know how many people 
have seen what this is and would therefore give us money um, without completely knowing what we do. Well, see, the, okay, yeah. let's let's try to flesh this out because this interests me. <laughs> I know. I think that I think what I think what you're coming up against is the fact that you're you're trying to invent the future. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there isn't really a model. You know, like we're in uncharted territory in publishing, and there's a bit. There's obviously been a big contraction in terms of bookstores, and you know everything's getting narrowed down to to what it's like. Barnes and Noble's the last uh, the last man standing in terms of like you know, the big chains, and then uh, you have your indies here and there, uh, many of which are struggling yeah. and a few of which are flourishing. But, you know, I, I like I said earlier, like I can see a future where you have these local shops that are curated and that are specialized, but that might also be hybridized, you know? And so what if you have, and, and then there's the social aspect as well. Like, I think that's kind of your bread and butter is that, like you said, like people want to come in and talk about books, take the book home and then read it on their own. Um, because reading is a solitary activity anyway. So what about like creating a space where you sell coffee and, you know, pastries or whatever. Um, and then you have a lending library where there's like a, you know, a monthly, like a, a, like a $5 a month deal where you can, you know, be a member of the library and people can come in and there's like picnic tables set up or something similar and they can hang out and drink coffee and like talk about books and meet other nerds. Yeah. I mean, it it sounds kind of perfect. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, it? <laughs> you, you know, you know, like if if I can somehow figure out a way that this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, I would sign up immediately. You know, like it's just figuring out how to make this my job right. that is sustainable, right? Instead of just like my job that doesn't pay me any money. See, and then we just need to get like weed legalized in New York so that like you can sell <laughs> weed. Yeah, you can become a dispensary. Right, a dispensary like, of books and marijuana. Then you'd be it'd be a cash cow. Actually, that's what that's kind of funny because no, I mean it is funny, but uh, there's other mellow pages in uh, like on Facebook, and if you Google mellow pages, uh, but one of them is. I, uh, basically a yellow pages for weed dispensaries, I think in Florida or something. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe we could come, we'll, we'll collaborate with them. Yeah. I was going to say, you, then, it's, it's, you, I mean, you're calling yourself mellow pages. I didn't even think of that. This is, this is like written in the stars. This is meant to be, it's a dispensary in a books, in a, in a library. <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm going to have to write my congressman now. <laughs> right. Becoming a political entity. <laughs> Um, but you know, like hopefully if there's anybody really wealthy listening who wants to, um, support the cause, you know, contact these guys, like this is the sort of thing that I think it sort of drives me crazy when, uh, I think little worthy ventures like this that wouldn't cost a huge amount of money can't find, um, a benefactor, you know, like it, what, what would it be? It would be like rent and then like salaries for like two people really. And then like, you know, a couple of espresso machines and some picnic tables, like it, it, you know, that's got yeah, I mean, to be doable. It's uh, not a ton of money, and Jacob and I are more than capable of doing what we're doing right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we bas just basically need a place to have the library and then enough money to buy some bagels every day. Yeah, well, and then yeah. like you could also do events. I mean, you're already doing events, right? Yeah, we've got a... 
we actually have a cool one today, um, <laughs> which should be kind of funny because like uh, it's it's for this local publisher called Artist Books. Uh, they do mostly poetry stuff, and they're coming out with a new book, and they want to have a, a little party here. But it's funny because like <laughs> 77 people are RSVPing on Facebook, <laughs> and like we know one of the the people who works there, and she's. She's been here before, but it'll be really funny if 77 people show up here tonight. <laughs> uh, it'll be uh, it'll be very hot and a lot of touching. Well, that's um, good. But see, this is what this is what book nerds need. They need close bodily contact. They don't get enough of that oftentimes. No, that's, oh man, we had we had this one event called Flashlight Fiction where uh, it was one of our members. She was having a birthday and she basically just wanted to have a reading for her party. But she invited some of her friends to read, and they read. We turned off all the lights, um, and then the readers each had a flashlight, and so they were reading like it was a campfire. And beside the point of what the event was, it was just uh, so fucking nice. Afterwards, the environment, hanging out with these people who we didn't know, and everyone was just really happy and excited to talk about books. And I don't know if I've ever been to a reading where everyone starts talking to each other after the reading. It seems to be more like you go to the reading, you like fanboy some author that you like, and then you slink away after a cigarette or something. Right. Well, you got that's so the, this that's, a, that's the benefit of a small space. You sort of have a captive audience, you know. Totally. Yeah. Which I I really like. Yeah, you kind of you kind of have them pen, you sort of have them penned in, and they have no, they have no, they have no choice but to talk to each other. Yeah, they're forced in the conversation. That's that's our whole idea: forced conversation by like locking the doors and having people inside. Do you, do you guys have? Do you guys offer Wi-Fi? Uh, yeah, yeah. We used to steal it, but now we have uh, an actual money exchange with one of the studios down the hall. So. But I mean, like, there's free Wi-Fi. There is. Okay, because like, this is a question I have. Because like, obviously, like, I work in coffee shops a lot because I have a small child and I just need to escape to some place where I can focus. And um, yeah, you're obviously looking. I mean, if I'm working on something creative, it's like, oh, you know, do I want to go to a shop that has Wi-Fi or do I want to go to a place that doesn't, just so I can limit my distractions? And you know, but it gets it gets difficult because sometimes you need it's like you need to do some research in the moment while you're working, and it's nice to be able to jump online. But then if you have that option, emails are coming in, and you know, did you guys ever have mm-hmm. did you guys ever have any questions about whether or not you wanted the internet available in that space? You know, in a yeah, I mean, it was definitely a concern at the beginning, but also this is like Jacob's workspace, so he he's a internet hound. He needs the internet. Um, so basically, <clears throat> if someone asks for the Wi-Fi, then we'll give it to them. But we're not like telling people when they come in, hey, we have the internet. Uh, there's not like it. you don't have like a little like sign with like the little Wi-Fi symbol like on the wall or something. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. So how many books have you lent out? Like, do you guys keep a tally or like how, how organized is this operation? Do you have like some sort of like internet or not internet, but a computerized inventory system or? Yeah. So, uh, we actually very simply use Goodreads 
which is, uh, I don't know how much that's going to be fucked up with the Amazon thing, but uh, we use Goodreads to keep track of the donation and we just make people shelves. Um, and then we're a little lazy on that account because we should be putting books into shelves when they've checked something out. But what we use mostly is just a Google Doc of all the checkouts. And then we always kind of update that when someone comes in, check something out. Uh, but then we also use Facebook. We take pictures of people when they check the books out, uh, which is a good reminder. But your actual question was how many books checked out. I'd I mean, probably say like a hundred, maybe more than a hundred. Even posts like so, so it's not like you're you're moving like th- you're circulating thousands and thousands of books throughout Brooklyn. I guess you couldn't because you're uh, you know you're, you're not that big yet. But no, no, we're still very small. But the cool thing is having someone come in multiple times and keep asking you like, "What should I read next?" And it's like, "Have you seen this book?" And they're always like, "Nope." Well, you should read it. Um, yeah, what, so it's much more. What are you lending? What are you recommending these days? Uh, uh, just um, Jacob just recommended to our newest member. I think his name is Sam. Um, Sam Pink's book, which was like only came out, I think, in a hundred copies. Gerald McClanahan, Gerald, Gerald something versus Nigel Ben. It's just a collection of short stories. And I think some of them might have been included in, in Ronto, but uh, it's a funny little book. I usually recommend Crapalachia by Scott McClanahan. Yeah. You heard that one? Yeah, I mean, I've had both Scott and uh, and Sam on this show. Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, they're very, I guess, opposite in terms of after effect of the book when you're reading it, but kind of similar in terms of how simple their stories are. Um, but I really like the four books of Samson Starkweather. Have you seen that one? No. Put out by Birds LLC. Uh, it's a humongous book of poetry that I'm pretty sure is just four of his chat books kind of collected finally. Um, humongous. He's a funny, funny poet. And what's his name again? Um, his name is Samson Starkweather. Damn, that's a name. Yeah, right? Is that real? He's a, he's... <laughs> I think so. He's like a total mountain man. Uh, long hair, beard, cool guy. I think he used to live in a cabin alone for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, really cool dude. Um, that, fuck, that's the other cool thing, really, is that I get to meet these people and like have a reason to talk to them other than just like, Oh, like your book, man. So wait, did, like, did, I want your did, did Samson Starkweather come down off the mountain and like come to Brooklyn? Yeah, I think he is. He might be living in Brooklyn now. I've seen him <laughs> around. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He has left, yeah. he has left his isolated mountain cabin and is now living in Brooklyn. <laughs> now he fits right in with all the rest of us. Yeah, the long hair. I mean, most of the pe- a lot of the people who live in Bushwick probably look like they just lived in a mountain cabin or have at one point lived in a mountain cabin. So, yeah, I mean that's that's how we kind of design ourselves. Both Jacob and I are from Seattle, so we've got like the mountain men, fishermen, 
grunge thing. Well, yeah, yeah, Jacob, you said he's working as a commercial fisherman in the summers, which I'm, you know, because I, I, I have friends who've worked in the canneries up in Alaska and kind of done that for okay. the summer. So, like, you can make some really good money, but it's also dangerous, isn't it? Like, he's on those boats? Yeah, yeah. He's been doing it since he was a little one, though. I think his dad has a has a boat up there. So, I mean, he's been, he's a seasoned fisherman. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely dangerous. Uh, Jacob's not usually one to quell in the face of fear, though. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a fucker. He's like he's, a, he's a superhero. Yeah. So, uh, but he's fishing. Jake, he's uh, fishing off the coast of Washington. He's not up in Alaska. No, he's in Alaska. Oh, yeah. he is. Okay. Yeah, he's way up there. And so he can do a summer up in Alaska working on a fishing boat, and that basically finances him in New York for the rest of the year. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he lives pretty frugally. I don't think he's changed. You said I don't think he's changed clothes in a week. Yeah, he he just wears this one really stupid looking uh, sports coat, <laughs> and he just wears that over everything. Well, at least he's dressing it up a little bit. I was thinking like overalls or something. I was thinking fishing gear, but he's a sport coat. You know, that's passable, right? Yeah, the sport coat is a new addition to his wardrobe. But he's been rocking it for a while now. So, um, so do you guys have? Uh, have you ever had any like notable authors come in? Like, has Jonathan Franzen like read the New York Times piece and <laughs> come into Peru? Have you like, is, you know, has, has any of that kind of thing happened? Yeah, he comes in every day actually. You know, just to see um, <laughs> what's new right. in case uh, he's got any threats. Um, we had this event where uh, it was just. It's kind of like an open mic, but you couldn't read your own stuff. So it was basically you had to read other books that you liked, hopefully. And uh, Justin Taylor came in and read from Barry Hanna, which was cool. Um, a lot of the guys from Lazy Fascist Press, I guess these are smaller names in the big world of big names, but um, like Cameron Pierce came in to do some signings. Dan Majors came in. Um, he's a member. Uh, did you ever read a book put out by McSweeney's called Icelanders? No. By Dan Long? Uh-uh. Uh, it, it's kind of an old book, and he hasn't published lately. But it's a really cool one. And he's came in this weekend, dropped off some of his books, and then dropped off other books, became a member. Um We'll see. We've this gotten is, a lot of. It seems like people in pub. It seems like people in publishing, whether it's like editors or uh, especially agents, should be like familiar with what you guys are doing. It seems like the perfect place to sort of like scout for talent. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. We, I think we've got one guy who works at Norton, who's a member. He comes in every weekend, but I don't know if he's an agent. Agent. But yeah, totally. Agents, come on down. Start looking. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, and you, you know, you can offer your thoughts here as well. But it seems like because of the processes and because of the increasing uh, pressure, I think, on a lot of these uh, editors and publishing houses to produce hits. I mean, it seems like 
a lot of the edgier and more unorthodox um, literature is getting pushed out to the margins and is being published by these independent presses. So, you know, to me, it's not always the case, but it's often the case that this is where the action is and this is where the most interesting and innovative work is happening. So, you know, it's just it's sort of, you know, it, it, it uh, frustrates me that this work isn't getting better placement in bookstores and better uh, attention in the culture. So, you know, like if yeah. where else are you going to find it? You know, other, unless you're super familiar with the blogosphere and you're just buying books online, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, unless you know what SPD is or like read. And SPD is small, small press distribution. Yeah. Yeah. That was my snobbish, uh, acronym drop just now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, unless you're connected to these venues, you would never, you never read these books just because you don't know of them. And like, I guess half the battle is waving them in front of people's faces saying there are other things to read rather than what the Times reviews on the weekend. Yeah. Well, are you a writer yourself? Are you working on any books or have you published anything? Yeah, I'm, uh, unfortunately, I am a writer. Oh, God. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, no, I'd, I'm working on my, my Jesus thesis right now. Your Jesus um, thesis? What's that? Yeah, it's a, it's a novel about Jesus, uh, who is kind of like a hipster, who has to go back and move in with, with the old God and the Holy Spirit. And... Um, there's a lot of family drama that is normal to a, a prodigal son coming home. And uh, it turns into a kind of um, suicide exploration in terms of whether or not God created Jesus as suicidal and the crucifixion being not this sacrificial martyrdom, but really just like a suicidal person's giving in to that desire. That's that's the, the darker aspect of it. But really, it's just a funny, family fun novel about, about God asking his son to get a job, get off the internet, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, like, it, you know, Jesus comes, it's like a single parent home and, you know, the virgin mother, I guess. But he, uh, I was at my sister's wedding uh, not too long ago and... I was sitting in the church, which I don't do uh, very often at all. And I was, I was sitting, <laughs> yeah. I was sitting there, like you know, close to the front because I, you know, I was sitting with the family, and I'm, I'm looking at my sister on the altar with her uh, husband, and uh, you know, my uncle is a priest, and he was calling the service, and then behind him is the crucifix, <laughs> and it's. Yeah. Just, I'm thinking to myself because I have my daughter with me. I'm thinking like that really is like a heavy image. It's some heavy iconography, yeah. you know, like a guy nailed to a cross. Like it's not, yeah. it's not really for children. No. Can you imagine the first time like a kid sees that image yeah. and everyone's like, Oh Jesus, we love you. And it's like, God, why isn't anyone getting them down from that or something? Yeah. And that's like, not, not only does he love you, but like he died for you. This is what happened to him. And he did this be, you know, for you, you know, like that's a lot to put on a kid. Yeah. 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 He's going through this pain just for you, oh, you individually. Oh God. And it's a, 
So I take it you were raised with the Jesus. Do you have some Jesus in your history? Oh boy, Jesus runs in my dreams. Uh, yeah, I was I was in a pretty Catholic family. Um, I mean, I'm still in the family. Not like I've been kicked out or anything. You haven't been, uh, you haven't but, been excommunicated yet. No, no, not yet. I haven't been divorced yet. Um, went to Catholic grade school and. I went to an all boys high school. Oh God! And uh, yeah, fun, fun for everyone. But <laughs> now, when I go home, we do these things called drive-by churches. So, like, we'll go to the big cathedral in Seattle, um, already knowing that it's going to be packed on like Easter or Christmas. And then we'll do one loop of the parking lot, see that it's full, fulfilling our duties as Catholics and then rush home to like some brunch or something. Um, so we don't, we don't get to church that often anymore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel, I'm, I was raised Catholic too. And I feel like it's, it's almost common. It's, it's unusual for somebody to have been raised Catholic and to wind up, uh, writing or trying to write for a living and to be at peace with it and still participating in a full faith kind of way. It's usually, the opposite. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it seems like a very yeah. common formula. I was raised Catholic. I'm a little disgruntled about it. And somehow Jesus is going to find his way into my work. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. It's, no, I, he, he finds a way, right? Yeah. <laughs> he does emerge, but it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like when you're raised with that kind of heavy, uh, iconography and imagery and that kind of, uh, I don't know, dogma it's, and, and then you find yourself at odds with it. Um, philosophically or whatever it, it's hard to shake yeah yeah i mean it that's something that you spent so long memorizing in this weird way that if i go to church now i can i can say those prayers without thinking you know it's just in me in some way right um i feel like the only author that i know that has maybe gone back to her roots of Catholicism is Mary Carr. I don't know if that's like a post rehab thing, but uh, isn't I know that she's Catholic, and I think that she still is practicing. I don't know anything actually for sure, but well, uh, I, you know, I've softened a little bit, you know, because my uh, I, I went through a phase where I was just like, "Fuck all of this! It's all such a load of shit." And then, yeah, that's a pretty harsh, you know, that has a. That has a, obviously a strong edge to it. And, um, you know, I'm at the point now where it's like, listen, I understand the comfort somebody derives from the ritual, the rituals of faith, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, you know, like the going to church and the singing the songs and the, the going through the processes. I get that. But then um, I don't even know what I was going to say. I, I guess what I'm saying is that if you derive comfort from it and from going through those rituals, great. But if you think that like Jesus, like actually physically floated up into the sky and is like going to come back and there's going to be a rapture, like I just lose, I, I guess I lose a lot of steam when it comes to people's interpretations. And I, I wish that there were a more uh, modernized and intelligent and evolved uh, approach. And I, I'm sure there are people in the, you know, in the Catholic church and then in other iterations of Christianity that are doing this. But like, you know, to me, it's just, it, it gets uh, frustrating, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've been bemoaning to my mom, uh, 
just about life and funds and getting jobs or whatnot. And she's just, she always says like, Oh, you know, you should really just pray, you know, <laughs> like God know that, that you want a job. I, I'm just like, I'm almost past the point. I'm almost past the point where, where I criticize that attitude. And it's more just a curiosity and how you can, how, how you can think that giving it up to God will somehow benefit you in the real world. Or, or, or the, just this notion that God is like Santa Claus, who's like handing out jobs and presents and what yeah. we're doing now. That's just, you know, to me, that's magical thinking. And um, it seems, uh, you know, no disrespect to your mother, because my parents uh, and I have family members, you know, who think similarly. And, and you know what? Maybe it works for them. But like from my particular vantage point, I'm thinking to myself, this is the kind of thing that a kid does. You know what I'm saying? Like this is what kids yeah. do when they want something. They, you know, they ask Santa Claus for it or they, you know, whatever. And maybe if you set an intention or you put some sort of like prayer thought out there, it, you know, maybe there's something subconsciously that happens, you know, but I, yeah. I have a hard time believing that there's some sort of orchestrator in the, uh, in the heavens who's looking down and like parsing out employment. Yeah. It's, it's so hard to believe that. And then there's also the point where you can get, or you ask yourself, maybe I'm just not doing it right. You know, like maybe I'm not saying the right words. Uh, maybe I'm not angled on my knees correctly or something. <laughs> I have bad form. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bad form. That's why he's not listening. <laughs> well, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. I just, I, I guess like, I, I feel like there's like a really antiquated version of uh, the church that's like holding on really tightly right now. And if it doesn't modernize, it's going to become increasingly obsolete. You know, like it just it frustrates me that that there's this sense that things can't change. Like, I think that that's the opposite of what needs to happen. Yeah. You know? Well, here's a question. Are you going to raise your kids? No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah, no, that's another like, you know, that's been a point of contention in my family about whether or not we're going to raise our daughter Catholic. But um, oh, man, I'm not sure I'm not interested, you know, and like uh, my, you know, my parents are cool like they and plus like you have to realize like I've been um, out of it since I was about 13 or 14 years old. Like I never liked church. So it was never something that appealed to me or like really resonated with me. So they've sort of known. Yeah, I, I remember just like completely spacing out during mass and just like trying to find new ways to look at a stained glass. <laughs> I was, and then you get into high school, and I was always just like looking for girls, and you know that was really yeah. yeah oh god! <laughs> and then you're like comparing other churches to like whether or not they have the hotter girls. Yeah, I mean it was like a, church. That was really it, and you know, um, you know, it's like I mean, let's try to loop this back to literature, you know, because. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, things are changing and the future is sort of being invented as we speak. And it takes people like you who, like, on a whim, open up their own library in Brooklyn um, it, to kind of evolve the thing. They're like change agents. And so if you think about I mean, I understand ritual as well. And I understand that there are certain things in publishing that, you know, uh, that are worthy traditions. But, you know, to not recognize the uh, the changes that are happening and not to not and to completely resist them or to pretend that they're not there is silly. And I guess like, you know, when it comes to religion, like, you know, not changing practices or trying to find ways to engage people in a language that, um, they can understand is sort of foolish. So 
um, when it when it comes to literature and it comes to independent independent presses that are putting out um, books that you feel really uh, resonate with the times that we live in? Like, are there some presses you can point to that you think do a really good job? Oh man, if I if I start naming names, I'll just get in trouble for not naming names. Well, come on, um, give it. Just give a couple of your favorites, just off the top of your head, like you know, and we'll forgive you for forgetting. You know, <laughs> I think. Let me just name a person, and he's connected to many things. I think this guy named Mike Young, who runs Magic Helicopter Press, and this journal called New N O O. I think that guy has the tap in to new stuff and what needs to be written. Um, he has this book out called Look at Look Look Feathers, and uh, I actually gave it to my friend who was having like a really shitty day and was feeling the the complete bleakness of publishing, and he wasn't he I think was reading a lot of internet literature and like all that stuff, and it's just like this this fucking sucks. Like this isn't literature, <laughs> which can be a very common uh, critique. Of that genre. What do you, uh, what do you think? Do you think that alt lit is uh, is not literature, or that it sucks? I think that it's almost more of a community <laughs> than literature. It seems like a place where people who write like that can find other people who write like that, and can each like Facebook poll posts and tweets that they like. Um, if it gets more people reading, then fuck it. Yes, it's great. Um, well, but I, I've always, I don't I've, know. I've often I've often argued though that like you know when it comes to, and I'm not an expert, but I mean it, it seems to me like a genuine cultural movement. However, you know, however microscopic it is in the grand scheme of things, like you know, in the world of literature, if you especially if you're uh, spending any amount of time online. You see this, and like this is how culture happens. You have one person starting to do something, and then other people start to imitate that, and it, you know, then it becomes this kind of tribal thing. And um, yeah, totally. I, I find that interesting, and I think there are varying levels of skill and intelligence that go into it with, with respect to the various books that have been published and things that are posted online and whatnot. But um, I'm fascinated by that. The echoes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's we had an outlet party here actually. Um, and it was it was a huge shit show. There's just the, there's so many kids, and it was awesome that they're all here for a reading. Um, but you could tell some of our, like our friends who didn't really know that world were put off by <laughs> how seemingly Jejun is uh, that kind of work can appear. Um, I have I have a friend who really hates it because she. She doesn't think anyone should publish until they're like in their 30s and have actually gotten some cred or at least have worked for things. But her main critique is that these, in most cases, kids don't have the actual education almost of like having read books all of their life, you know, and they don't know per se what great writing is in the historical sense. They just know what they like and will make it as much as they can, which they can, right? Like 
with the internet as your publishing tool, you can you can write forever, basically. Right. right. And someone will pick it up. Well, and that, that's Especially, an, that's another. I mean, that's another example of change agents, and it's like a, it's a big subject to consider. I think because. You know, I don't know how you, I don't know how you dial that. I don't think you can turn the hands of the clock backwards on that. You know, like I think of my, I think of my daughter and like, yeah, there may be some traditional reading assignments given in her schooling, but it's hard to think about where things are right now. And she's only two years old and where things will be 15 years from now. Um, You know, these, these, the kids that are young now uh, are going to be reading in an entirely different way than we did. And the literature that they produce is going to reflect that. And I think it's, I think it's unavoidable. The question is, is it going to become shallower and less soulful and less interesting, you know, or that, you know, hopefully they're going to find a way to make it interesting. The people who are, who are really invested in it, but it's certainly going to come from a different set of reference points. uh, I would think. You know, or at least a majority uh, of their reference points are going to be different than, say, the ones that we took from our, you know, uh, now seemingly like ancient high school education. <laughs> Which is good, right? I mean, it should change. Yeah. Like those, it's inevitable. Those beacons have to move backwards. And then if they're actually significant in any way then or lucky <laughs> in any way, then they'll stay with us. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'm having like multiple thoughts because I just I I was either talking to someone for this podcast or I was talking to somebody in my life and I can't remember which is which anymore. But um, (laughs) it was about it was about educational choices for kids and it was about these schools that they have now that pointedly do not offer Internet to their students. So like elementary. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like no Internet. We're not going online. No smartphones. You have to read books and you have to get your education like you know, it's like, like not all change is progress, but all progress requires change. And so it's a matter of parsing it out and figuring out, you know, yeah, things are going to change, but the question is, is it better? And like, how do we measure that? Mm -hmm. You know, because there's a possibility that things could be getting worse. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's a, that's an option. Not many people think, well, I guess actually probably a lot of people think that, but it's, it's a hard one to confront to think that what you're, doing or what the world you live in is actually getting worse and better well i think about like there was an interview i read like a long time ago i don't even know where i was reading an interview with tom petty and and i just remember this one part of it where he was talking about the old days and he's like listen yeah. he's like listen i don't want to be that guy i understand it's always the old guy saying it was better in the old days but he's like i'm telling you it was fucking better in the old days when there were where there were albums and people listened to yeah. entire albums start to finish and they read the liner notes and there was big cover art and the sound was deeper and richer. Like, you know, this new digital age for musicians, I guess it I guess it offers some positives in terms of control and distribution and stuff. But, you know, he was like, listen, it was better. And like, maybe he's right. You know, maybe yeah. maybe things yeah. suck more now. And like, it, like he existed in some kind of golden age, you know? Well, not to... Uh bring it back unnecessarily, but uh, I'll bring it back to a place where I can talk most comfortably. Um, what's cool about Mellow Places is that they're, like, we're in a building with a whole bunch of artists, and sometimes they come swing by, and there's a couple of older ones, and they're always, like, instantly at home. They're, they're like, oh, I've read this Pynchon and this Delillo and this blah, 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 and they just really dig 
the kind of they they think of it as like a beat happening constantly right in 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 the library <laughs> one of the biggest compliments was this guy came in the other day he's got a gallery down the hall and he's like you guys are a bunch of literary degenerates because <laughs> i mean um we because it's uh our studio space we we smoke inside and like we're all hanging out and like people may or may not be drinking if they want. I mean, we kind of allow a, a freedom within the space to do whatever you want. Right. You're, just, you're not really killing anyone. And it's like that whole, <laughs> that whole ethos of, of like just having the books there as a great starting place for, I guess, revolving your life around and I think that we're doing something like fuck you've already said it many times new I guess or maybe just recycled where we're offering a space where you can tumble or photo what's the, the photo thing Instagram right <laughs> um, I mean you can take a picture of yourself with the books and tag us and then you can actually like be in a space with other people, maybe talking about books, maybe not talking about books. Yeah, like are people are people there. are people meeting and hooking up as a result of this place? Do you are you seeing couplings happening? <laughs> um, yeah, we've had we haven't had like an actual love match yet, but there have been a couple of hookups after reading. Yeah, that's been kind of funny funny to watch. Well, that's nice to um, that's nice to facilitate that. And then, are there any like really cute girls that come in? Uh, like regularly, like, do you have your eye on anyone? Are you, uh, are you with somebody? <laughs> uh, I'm currently with, with a lady. Oh, you are. Um, okay. Did you meet her at this, at, yeah. the, at the, at the library? <laughs> no, no. But if, if I didn't, that, uh, I would not say no to it. If yeah. I was a free man. Um, yeah. Well, you gotta, Jacob have, has been you, writing. you've got to have oh, some cat. You've got to oh. have some cachet in the neighborhood. Now you guys are like hipster, hipster <laughs> kings. We are. We uh, get recognized by practically no one, but for those that do, they they practically salute us, um, which is funny to see. Well, it's, it's like it's just literary. It's just literary fame. You know, it's so funny. yeah. Exactly. It's so specialized. You have like twelve people who really recognize yeah. you know and appreciate what you do, and among those twelve people, it's huge. But. Uh, outside of yeah. that, outside of that, you're essentially anonymous, which I think is that's that's perfect, you know. No, it's probably the best way to navigate the celebrity life, <laughs> right? Where 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 you can feel really bloated for a little bit, and all your friends will pat you on the back, and then when you take the subway, and no one looks at you, right? They'll bring you right back down to actual reality. In fact, they they yeah. they actively look away from you. They're disgusted. By yeah, you. it's perfect. They don't want to. They don't want to sit next to you. You smell. You just came back from toiling soil for eight hours. No, you've been you've been on a fishing boat for the summer, and now you're wearing <laughs> you're wearing you're wearing this you're wearing the same blazer for like the fourteenth day in a row. Exactly. Um, well, I feel, I, go I'm ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm bad enough, Jacob. I shouldn't have done that. He's a he's a great guy. I don't think I could have done this without him. Actually. And vice versa, probably. But um, 
if you want to see an instance of our actual love for each other, we just post a video. Um, we got our 666 like on Facebook and in uh, commemoration or celebration of the devil on that number. Uh, Jacob just pierced my ear just now. Oh, he did. Yeah, and there's a video on our Facebook. Yeah, so how can, uh, so how, can, how, can people, how can people find you? You're on Tumblr and Facebook? Those are the two big avenues online? Yeah, so if you just go into your Facebook little question box, uh, type in Mellow Pages Library, should be the first thing that pops up. And then we're at mellowpageslibrary.tumblr.com. Uh, I think a friend of ours is going to maybe make us a website. <laughs> I don't one actually one thing at a time, one thing at a time. We need like an espresso machine and then yeah. eventually, yeah, eventually you'll get there. One day, one day. Well, listen, dude, I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of what you guys are doing. I think it's cool when people just take the bull by the horns in their communities and uh, just try shit, you know, like that's what it's about. Yeah. And I think that you never know what it can grow into. And I hope that other people out there who are listening, uh, who might have similar interests or inklings would take it as inspiration and maybe try it in their hometown because anything that gets people talking about books and gets, especially these books that exist on the periphery in front of people where I think, you know, uh, many of them deserve to be, uh, it's a good thing and uh, it's a fun thing. So, uh, I wish you well, and I hope you guys. I hope there's somebody really wealthy listening who just like cuts you a check. <laughs> you and me both, man. Yeah, yeah. Come on, and then by uh, the way, and and while they're at it, cut me a check too. I need some money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll give you ten percent okay. or whatever. We get. Yeah, I want to. I want a finder. I want a finder's fee on whatever you guys get. And, and then, if anyone wants to uh, make a large cash donation to keep this podcast running for the next fifty years, please uh, contact me. Um, I support this message. All right, man. Well, listen, best of luck with everything. Good luck finishing up your Jesus thesis. And if I'm out in New, if I'm out in New York, I'm going to come find you. Yeah, please do. We'll give you some beer and a cigarette. All right, you guys. There you go. That's Matt Nelson. Go say hello over at the Mellow Pages Library and Reading Room in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York, New York. You can find Mellow Pages on the Facebook and uh, check out their Tumblr. It's pretty great, and it can be found at mellowpageslibrary.tumblr.com. Thank you to Kill Rockstars, as always, for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Don't forget to get the app, the free official Other People app, available now, free of charge for your iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, or Android device. It is the best way to listen to this program. New episodes automatically upload. You can download episodes to listen to offline. You can access premium content and the full archives and so on and so forth all via the app. So please go get that if you haven't gotten it already. Uh, otherwise, voicemail. If you want to call in and offer your thoughts on the program, try reaching me at Skype. I've never done this before. I think it's going to work. My Skype name is Brad Listy. All one word. Lowercase. And, uh, you know, say something. And if it's, uh, if it's interesting, perhaps I will include you here on the program. Uh, let me also say, uh, in a similar vein, that I appreciate all the emails and Facebook messages and tweets uh, that I get from you guys regarding the program. I appreciate it. It helps me uh, make the show better. It keeps me uh, stimulated. And, you know, for those of you who are not aware, I am uh, posting listener feedback regularly over at the Other People website. 
the uh, the official website at otherpeoplepod.com. So if you want to read what people are sending me, uh, perhaps you want to read your own uh, email. Uh, just go to otherpeoplepod.com. The category is feedback. If you want to see all of the uh, archives, uh, you'll see it. It's right there. Just, you know, scroll. Please remember that uh, Kierkegaard died at age 42 and that Lucretius once wrote, quote, tiny drops of water will hollow out a rock, end quote. That is it for now. Thank you for listening. I'm back again on Wednesday with another episode, another writer, another conversation, and possibly some more voicemail messages. Who knows? Uh, Was that interesting? Did you enjoy that segment? Are you entertained? Have I entertained you? (laughs) 